Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to Building the Cooperative School. My name is Adam Rubicek. I'm here with my good friends, Derek Swistak and Aaron Fleming. Hello. Howdy, everybody. We are bringing you our second episode. Any good podcast is only successful if it lasts to at least its second episode. So congratulations, fellas. We're here. Good job. Good job, everybody. Round of applause. So how these next few episodes are going to go, uh, we're going to look at the essential elements of cooperative learning. And each essential element in a mini-series, we're going to kind of take a, a dive into the theory behind it, what those look-fors and, and listen-fors are in the classroom, and then what are some practical ways that you can design lessons. So over the course of three episodes for each essential element, we're going to kind of dig into, into each. So uh, starting in our mini-series here, we've got positive interdependence, and we're going to start talking about a little theory. I know this is everybody's favorite topic. Uh, Derek and Aaron are big uh, research guys, right? wait were you talking no seriously this is good stuff this, no, is this good stuff. While, while you might not uh be so interested in the theoretical base there's actually a very interesting history to the uh background of cooperative learning so we can talk more about the the deep roots and the in the ancient traditions of having students cooperate whether it's through the talmud or socratic seminar or a variety of different methods that have developed all over the world um you know in 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 ancient modern history but we'll talk more about sort of the, the American philosophical base. So specifically with positive interdependence, we want to look at the social interdependence theory. And this has its roots in uh, Gestalt thinking from uh, turn of the 20th century Germany, actually. Uh, and as we remember, Gestalt is this idea that the whole is greater than a sum of its parts. Um, when people or ideas get together, that there's something unique about that interaction where we are accomplishing more by having all those pieces pieces in one. When you, when you get into um, early 20th century America, you've got two researchers that are digging into this idea of the Gestalt and applying it to educational psychology, and that is Morton Deutsch and Kurt Lewin. And both of these researchers were trying to apply this idea of the Gestalt, like I said, to the educational basis, and they came up with the social interdependence theory. And basically with the social interdependence theory, says is that people need to rely on each other for growth. If there's any psychologists out there, I am sure I am mangling this, but the, the fundamental of social interdependence theory really tries to get it um, at this notion that uh, by having students or ha having individuals work together, that they can build, build more knowledge, build more understanding. And so this is the way that you structure lessons. This is the way that um, you get students to start with maybe an extrinsic push to have some task that they have to complete together. But ultimately, when it switches to that intrinsic motivation, when those students want to work together for the sake of working together, that's when true learning and true growth. Yeah, and the, and, and the Gestalt theory kind of kind of follows along with that too, right? About being like in close proximity with one another, having some sense of symmetry, having some sense of closure, um, finding similarities between things. So they take that and, and apply it to uh, principles of cooperation. Well, and, you know, just in case, you know, in podcast number two, you're thinking to yourself, hold on, what was that positive interdependence? Just remember, it's that sink or swim uh, together mentality, right? That if my group 
doesn't succeed, then I don't succeed. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really building that, that learner opposed to student uh, mentality. I know that uh, Derek, uh, Derek talks about that a lot in his classroom. I'm sure Adam has talked about that for years as well, that, uh, you know, with, with this togetherness, we want kids to become, you know, learners, you know, and not just play the game of being a student. So um, all that stuff's involved. And, and I think another um, reason why we want to learn a little bit about the history and talk about where this came from is that this is not a new idea. Now, cooperative learning seems to come up every few years, every decade or so. Someone talks about, oh, here's a new way to, to, to sell it. Here's a new way um, to get your students to talk to each other, maybe through a technological means, maybe you know, by having, uh, you know, within context of a certain, by having context within a certain uh, discipline. So like maybe here's, here's some ways that you can build math by constructing understanding together. But this idea of cooperative learning within the modern context goes back to the 1920s. So this is a tried and true method that time and time again has been shown to have a positive benefit for students. You'll see how all these elements are intertwined together, but this is one of the more important things as far as the teacher's role is kind of setting it up so that the group can't accomplish things without each other. And there's different ways of going about that that we'll talk about in in future podcasts. Might there be nine different ways to do that, Derek? There might be. Now you're getting ahead of it. You're getting ahead of it. At least nine. That's a teaser to keep them coming back. I mean, this is good stuff here. Again, if we want to tease a little bit further out, if you look at the family tree of educational psychologists, you go from Kurt Lewin to Morton Deutsch to David Johnson of, uh, of David and Roger Johnson, the, the founders of the Cooperative Learning Institute. So this is a direct lineage from those educational researchers to the, the work that we're talking about today. In a future episode, we will get David on and he'll talk about some of his experiences with, um, with, in those early days of cooperative learning as well as um, the psychology behind it. Well, I don't know if it's worth mentioning here, and I know Adam and Derek are a little bit uh, better better versed in the uh, the research end of this. But um, so I believe that we're talking about the nineteen early nineteen sixties. Would I be would I be right, Adam and Derek, when you know David Johnson really kind of starts to take that torch and and really look the research and you know we're we're talking about a time of significant change in our nation's history. You know, a time where we were asked to treat each other better and to respect each other's differences and to work together more than ever. And um, with all of that social change happening, then I think it is, uh, it's, it's, it serves us and serves our students well now to continue to look at that, you know, in, you know, another time of, you know, change and reevaluation of how we, we treat each other and ask our kids to treat each other. That's a great point. And that what, what's old is new again, we're, we're seeing this era of, awareness and um, really examining our differences and what what makes us different and unique and, and and capitalizing on those and making sure that all voices are respected and I really think there's no better way to do that than through the use of cooperative learning again as we get David in here to talk about his work with cooperative learning as, as he and Roger got together was not to revolutionize the way the kids learn things it was to make uh, people get along it just so happens that when you get along with your peers you're going to learn a lot more that, that's where the psychology comes in, that um, we understand how the brain works. We understand that humans are inevitably social creatures and that we're going to do better when we, when we work together. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of that, you know, that when we talk about the 60s and we talk about today is that in the 60s, we had the world getting smaller, right? And, you know, we had a lot of a lot of social change, but we also had a lot of like world change as well. Um, and now, you know, we see that the world has gotten small, even smaller because you can just be on a computer or on a device and you can be talking to all kinds of people from all over the world. And so to both good and bad ends. And, and that is... Um, that is, that is really important to kind of make that distinction. So bravo to you, Fleming, for bringing that up. Uh, that's, that's about all we'll uh, give you on the research here. Um, I think in future episodes, we can actually look at some articles and some research that are, that are currently coming out. We could explore where the, um, where the latest thinking of cooperative learning is. But that's, uh, that's a little picture into the history of the research and the theory behind positive interdependence, which is one, the first of our um, essential elements of cooperative learning and I think we'll leave it there for the day let's cooperate thank you for listening to the building the cooperative classroom podcast the official podcast of the Johnson and Johnson cooperative learning institute please check out the show notes for all relevant links including a link to our twitter account and the cooperative learning institute webpage this podcast is copyrighted under the creative commons license copyright 2021 Theme music courtesy of Jimmy Ryan.